0: Morning, everyone. Hi, it's awesome to be here. Um, Yeah, we're carrying on with Acts today. We've had uh, two parts so far. Emma kicked us off a couple of weeks ago, and then uh, Sam was talking last week. So we're going to be in this for a couple of months. So I really would encourage you if you have missed any, um, they all connect. So um, if you get a chance in the week, go back and catch up with them. Um, Awesome. Right, let's just pray and uh, we'll get on with it. Jesus, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you're with us. God, thank you that you have um, a dream for how we relate to one another. And God, I just um, I pray that even as we are in different places and um, all over the country, God, would you unite us in you this morning? Holy Spirit, would you come and do what only you can do? Would you deposit something in us that is of you, of your kingdom, and that would um, plant a seed that would bear fruit for um, weeks and months and years to come? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Awesome. So we are going to be in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42 to 47. But um, just before we read that out, I wanted to kind of draw your attention to a couple of things that um, have happened in the the last couple of weeks as we've gone through Acts. So obviously last Sunday was um, Pentecost Sunday and it was brilliant because Sam was talking to us about um, just the outpouring of the Spirit and and, and all of that. And, And that's ultimately, I mean, it's the probably most significant moment in human history. So it's definitely the most significant moment in um, this Acts series that actually everything that follows is as a result of God's spirit being poured out on a people, empowering them and positioning them to be in this new kind of community that God was putting in the earth. So um, but what is interesting though is um, what Emma shared in the first week about um, how you know the disciples come to Jesus and they said, "You know, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, are you are you going to do what was promised in the in the Old Testament scriptures?" And then um, and Jesus says, "Yes, I'm going to do that." And um, doesn't tell us when, except that it's going to happen after the Spirit has been poured out at what we now call Pentecost. So that's significant because um, the kingdom being restored to Israel wasn't about. A nation state wasn't about a kind of a nationalistic agenda or anything like that. It was about God's promise of, um, of a new way of relating to humanity and a new outpouring of himself that would ultimately bring salvation to the entire earth. Um, it was about that. And so now that Pentecost has happened, that's super significant because it's like, oh, right, actually, that, that, was, the, that was the go point. And now we can start to explore what that actually looks like. And um, in Luke's account of Pentecost, so uh, it's um, right the way through chapter two, he's drawing on loads of um, different themes from the Old Testament and in, in the way that Peter speaks. But kind of two things in particular come out that I think really are going to help us this morning. The first is this um, idea of um, the new covenant being um sort of signified by a new temple, the temple being the place where God's presence literally is on earth. And in the Old Covenant, that was a literal physical building um, that we read about. And and it's really interesting, really cool. But um, in in the New Covenant, it isn't going to be a building anymore. It's not going to be bricks and mortar, it's going to be people. God's new temple is his new covenant family. And then even Peter himself, when he writes his letter, he talks about the fact we're living stones. Like We're built together as people and collectively we're now the dwelling place of God on earth. Which is absolutely mind-blowing and we could probably stop there and just think about that for the next half an hour and it would be great. Um, But that's the first thing. And the second thing that comes out is this idea that actually a mark of the new covenant is, um, notice how when uh, the spirit falls and Peter preaches, it talks about how um, Jews from all over the diaspora were there, Um, different nations, different languages, and they all heard the gospel in their own native tongue. And that was prophetically significant because it it was sort of showing how the tribes that were once together and then disparate actually were coming together under this new messianic king and actually now that God's spirit has been poured out on them, now through this united body, this diverse international body, God was going to arise, shine his light on them and through them bring salvation um, in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this united collective people were going to bear witness to it. So we've got um, a people on which God is pouring out his presence, in whom he's dwelling and through whom he's going to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And this is significant because when we get to Acts 2.42, we've had all this stuff going on. There's Jesus' ascension, the Pentecost, like bam, 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 just almost so much happening. And then we stop and we pause and we hear Luke describe actually what kind of community is stewarding this. You know, um, what kind of community is taking this, not just um, as, you know, seeing it as this singular moment of glory that we'll look back on as the glory days, but actually is, is shooting this into the promise of bringing salvation to the ends of the earth. And I wanted to stress that because so often we get to this passage and we read it and it's quite practical and it's quite applicable. And we think it's talking about like church structure and church strategy. And it is in some ways, but more than that, it's talking about God's blueprint for salvation to the ends of the earth. And it's about way more than something you might discuss at a church council meeting. And um, and actually, the big idea that I want to get across this morning is that there's a way of being together. There's a way of doing our lives together. There's a way of community that can literally turn the world upside down. That's how Luke describes it later in Acts. This group of people turned the world upside down. And it's a group of people that we're connected to, we're part of, we're part of the same story. And so the same promise is available to us. So let's read it. Okay, Acts 2, 42 to 47. The fellowship of the believers. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles we hear about four things that kind of characterise this new community, and um, NT Wright describes them as landmarks or pillars. And then um, it's this idea that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, um, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. Those those four things: apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers. And then. Um, each of those things we could talk about for ages, you know, there's books on what is prayer, like PhD theses, what is teaching, what is communion, what is, what is fellowship, all of that stuff. Like, but um, I think what's helpful this morning is um, to think about them not just as okay, as individual aspects or like items, but actually um, one collective whole actually they're all part of this one expression of what genuine Christian community looks like. And so maybe it's easier to think, okay, well, what happens when you take one away? Or what happens when we're lacking in one area? Because actually the whole suffers. We can't just be like, oh, we've got three of them and that's working out, but we don't have the fourth, doesn't matter. Like if we, if we lose some, we lose all. And um, so like, think about it, without teaching, without, you know, um, an anchoring in scripture and a commitment to orthodoxy, we're just at the mercy of whatever's going on around us and the, this pressures from society. And Jesus um, can quickly drift from being center point to actually just a memory or a pale imitation. If we don't have fellowship, we might know the right stuff, might think the right things, but we'll be isolated. And we know just how sociologically, that's a challenge, but how much more so with regard to our faith? And how much harder will it be to have a living, active faith if we're just on our own, we're not connected? Without the breaking of bread, um, we're not waving the flag that says, Jesus's life, death, and resurrection is everything. It's the center point, it's what everything else orientates around. And without prayer, we might think the right things, do the right things, be with the right people, but ultimately we're missing out on that joining of heaven and earth, which is kind of the whole point of this thing that Jesus would come and rescue his people for eternity. And actually think about it, like, how much does the world actually need these things? How much does it need truth? And actually to know up is up and down is down and left is left and right is right, like it needs it. How much does it need? fellowship, community, like, yes, friendship, but more than friendship, the kind of connection that, that is selfless and giving and generous. Like, how much does our world need that? How much do we need the breaking of bread to, to raise the flag and say, actually, Jesus' life, death and, re- death, and resurrection is everything. Like, the world needs freedom from sin and resurrection life. It's, it's why we exist, isn't it? And finally, like, of course, the world needs prayer. Of course, people need to um, find that, that that hole in them that is made for eternity, that aches and longs for, for what is to come, actually can be experienced here and now. It's why, like, um, it is more than just organizing church. Like There's a way of doing community that can turn the world upside down, because that's what people need, that's what we were created for. And us as the covenant people now have been um, given God's glory to go and um, share that message with everyone. Okay, um, moving on to the next little section, 43 to 45. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Um, I'm not going to dwell on verse 43 because I think um, some of the stuff Stan's going to speak into next week will really um, add weight to that. But just to say, um, it should be totally expected that in any community where God's spirit has been poured out, like the miraculous expressions of his power should be normal. Not like, optional extras, not either or, absolutely normal, two sides of the same coin. And we see it here in, in Acts. But moving on to um, 44 and 45. All together had all things in common, selling their possessions and belonging, and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. Depending on your political ideology, your personality type, maybe these are some of the most exciting verses in the New Testament, or perhaps some of the most terrifying. I'm not going to ask you to empty your bank accounts this morning. There isn't a boat leaving for a mysterious island that we're all going to be on together. Um, but I think even the fact that I'm joking about that speaks into something quite significant. And, um, you know, I, I think often with, with, with this particular verse, but also others that are similar, like there's that sort of thing in the back of my mind, like, oh, It sounds great, but do we really have to? Like, can we not just put that in the maybe pile? And um, I was reading a commentary, uh, getting ready for this, and they posed that same question, and the guy writing was like, well, if you're going to do that, where do you stop? Like, if you're just starting to throw stuff out, where do you stop? You know, like, are you just going to be like, well, I don't need to love my neighbor as myself. Like, where does it stop if we start um, getting rid of stuff when we find it uncomfortable? Like, actually, the whole point is that we come to scripture, scripture humbly to be led and challenged and changed and shaped. We don't come to it to weaponize it and use it for whatever we fancy or whatever we like and get rid of the stuff that actually doesn't relate or scares us. Like, that's not our choice. We're the ones to be shaped by Scripture, not the other way around. And um, the thing is, it's there. It might be hard, but it's right there. And then. Um, it's funny, like I, I joked about the sort of commune thing, and and often it's just like, oh, does this mean we like, all have to be together? Like, is everyone coming down to Ardwick Green to live here forever? And um, I guess um, to sort of, to speak into that, firstly, the disciples still had their own homes. Um, you know, they they still were breaking bread in their homes. They they hadn't sold up and moved out to a field in the middle of nowhere somewhere. So so that was what's going on here. But the reality is, they. Um, what they were trying to do is genuinely live as one family, not just talking about it, not using it as some kind of marketing exercise to make people feel good, like actually genuinely living as one family, which looked like sharing possessions and sharing income and, and all this kind of stuff. And they, they were doing it with Jesus they, as they travelled with Jesus um, when there was 12 of them. And what's amazing is that they're still committed to that even after this exponential growth, and they've gone from dozens to thousands. They're still committed to how do we work out, how do we live as the fact that we are one family because we're a different family, we're a different kind of family that is now God's covenant people. That should look like something, and that's what they're going after. And um, it, so, I guess there's three things that I picked out here. But um, firstly, it's it was proximity. So, yeah, maybe they still had their own homes, but they were they were close to one another. They were in one another's lives, not just when it suited them or when it was convenient, but they were close to each other. And then, especially in the last couple of years, like um, it's been harder to be physically close, but that doesn't mean we can't still be in one another's lives. And so, actually, do we have the kind of proximity that would actually be able to be described as family, or do we not? You know, thinking about... Um, things possessions they they didn't really think about ownership as much as stewardship like this is just a thing it doesn't matter if it's mine or yours like it's just if it's in our world we're stewarding it together and so we're going to use it in whatever way works for us like you know like and if if someone's got something and someone else needs it well they've got it as well it's because we're one family with the same thing and then it's, it's just the whole idea that, you know, like a possession would sort of signify success or, you know, status or actually be something to, to desire and the heart to long for. Like, it just seems completely detached from where they're at. And why wouldn't it? Like, they're just, they've just experienced the outpouring of God's literal presence in their literal bodies. Um, and they're like God's literal agents in the whole world like for a kingdom that's going to last for eternity. Like, can you imagine chatting to Jesus about how much your house is worth? Like, in the light of all that. Um, and then finally, they, they it says that they shared the resources, you know, that actually, collectively, if one part needed something, as a whole, they would inconvenience themselves to meet that need. You know, they would sell stuff um, if they needed to, and use it to help other people. And, um, and I think, kind of, even just as we think about charity, you know, actually, do we think about giving off the... From the surplus like actually we've got something left over so i know i should give so i'm going to give it and i can tick a box and do the right thing whereas actually the attitude here was totally like well um it does, it's just part of who we are like actually if there's need we meet it collectively even if that makes it harder for us and um Yeah, like, why wouldn't we live like this, knowing what we know about God's abundance and his eternal kingdom? Why wouldn't we be able to live with open hands and open hearts and just free of the materialism and um, shackles that come with all that stuff, with the mammon, really? And um, coming back to the commune thing, I think the reason why we joke about it often um, is because it allows us to caricature it and be like, oh, isn't that funny? That's never going to happen. And we can just like, so, you know, we've talked about it, we've laughed about it and we've parked it over there and it hasn't done anything to us whereas actually um, I think that is a bit of a defence mechanism and um, the reality is um, if, if this is of God and if this is God's way of organising family and community then it's going to work in any and every socioeconomic climate like it doesn't have to be dictated to by what's going on in the world like it's going to work, we just need to figure out what that looks like um, but it's going to be hard and it's going to cost something. You just can't get away from that. It's going to be hard, and it's going to cost something. But isn't that the whole deal anyway? like, actually, when Jesus called us to follow him, he didn't say, follow me on Sundays for a couple of hours. He said, lay down your whole life. He's like, it's the person that holds onto their life to grasp it that's going to lose it, but the person who gives it away will find abundance. You know, um, Jim Elliot, that famous missionary, said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Like, why, why wouldn't you live like this in, in this new kind of community? And, and actually, um, this, is, this is the kind of community that turns the world upside down. And um, it's the kind of community that reads verses 44 and 45 and doesn't get terrified of them, but actually is like, well, that's obvious and beautiful. Of course we're going to do that. Moving on to the next bit. Um, Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. Um, So I love this um, because it kind of shows you, we've thought about some of the practices, you know, the four pillars, um, the the, um, sharing things, having things in common, all that kind of stuff. But this talks about um, what's going on inside. Actually, what is the heart that drives this? What is the fuel that powers this kind of community? Um, And it's glad and generous hearts. That um, I feel like I always end up coming back to generosity just because for me, it embodies the idea of agape, of sacrificial love, of um, giving of yourself for the benefit of, of, of others, which is actually the way that we encountered God's love first. And he gave of himself for our benefit. And um, I think, you know, of course, you know, community is going to be driven by love. I'd like to, you know, that would probably be an easy answer that we could give, you know, like, because we love, we're gonna be together and we're gonna love one another. But I wonder sometimes if the kind of love that we have for each other isn't so much agape, sacrificial, generous, pouring of yourself out for one another, as it is affection. And there's nothing wrong with affection. I like affection, affection is great. Um, But actually, if that sort of warm, fuzzy love the love that makes us feel good um, is our main driver for community, then I think we're going to end up with, with homogenous community, with community that looks like us that is easy to be around, that actually fits with our current life. Like, and it, it's, not like, it's not like that's necessarily bad in and of itself, but I think actually if we think, oh, I'm loving because I feel affectionate to a certain group of people, the reality is it's probably a very specific group of people that you've chosen that fit your life stage, that fit the things that you like, the things that you enjoy doing, and it feels great within your space, but actually is that the kind of community that God is using to turn the world upside down? Or is it you just having a nice time? I'm not against having a nice time. I like having a nice time. Um, but you get what I'm saying, that sense of, is it just affection that's driving this, or is it something else, a sense of giving of myself? And um, uh, even just thinking about like hospitality, it's easy to think, oh, I'm hospitable because I have my friends over to my house quite regularly. Whereas actually, what about loving neighbour? What about loving the people that are near you, whether you chose them or not? Like actually, what does that look like? Or do you just, or are you the object of, you know, of the affection? That like, I'm doing this because it makes me feel good. Or actually, am I doing this because of who I am, who God's made me to be, and whoever's around me is going to benefit? Because that's that's the promise that God pours out His Spirit on His people for the benefit of the nations, every single person, the corners of the earth. Um. There's a, a, a little uh, prayer book that um, I got last year and it's just like little one-line prayers with some images. And um, there was one in there that just really stuck with me and just keeps coming back. And uh, as I was preparing this talk, I, I thought it was important to share. And it was this. is written by a guy called um, Justin McRoberts, I think is his name. Um, and he, uh, he says this. Um, May I receive as a gift... Those to whom I've been given, may I receive as a gift those to whom i 've been given, and I just I love that and it 's a great one just to sit with and contemplate on and, and just have in your in your heart and your spirit like actually um who have you been given to you and you 're not the driver of that, like who has God given you to and and maybe that uh, there's Actually, that's awesome. Maybe there's some challenge in that. It's probably a bit of everything. But actually, who have I been given to, and can I um, not just see them as something to escape from, and be like, oh, be like, oh, well, I suppose I should, I should love them and look out for them because that's the right thing to do. The right thing to do, like, and be a good Christian, and I'll, you know, whether it's um, a parent at the school gate or the person who lives next door or an awkward flatmate or whatever, and you're almost like, well, I know that, you know, right, I'm in their life, so I need to look out for them. But actually, shifting that from obligation to, what a precious gift. What, how amazing that God would entrust this person to be in my life, this person that's beautiful and made in their image. Whatever judgment I was holding against them, what, what was that? And can I actually receive as a gift those to whom I've been given? And I think that, that start of thinking starts to unpick the whole, like, well, I'm just going to build a life that suits me. And I, like, I don't want to be isolated, so I want people in it, but it's going to be on my terms and in my way and with the people that fit. Like, actually, who is God giving us to? And may we receive that as a gift. Um, next bit of, the, of this little thing in, in verse 47, uh, it says, um, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, if you have ever done any kind of church ministry or works in church, like this is sort of the, the, the money verse. It's like, yes. like Where can I go to the vending machine that I can pull the lever and the Lord will add daily those who are being saved? It's like, yeah, instant growth. Sign me up. How do I do it? What's the secret? Um, and the secret's right there. <laughs> it's the Lord who adds. It's the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Like, um, of course people were added. Of course, this thing grew because it was God's design and it was God's intention and it was healthy. And his desire is that everyone should be saved. And his vehicle for that is the church. So of course, like it was going to grow. But um, so often we get fixed on the, okay, how do I make it grow? When actually it's not our, it's not our job. It's not our responsibility. Church growth is not our responsibility. Community growth is not our responsibility. Our responsibility is faithfulness, being the people that we're called to be, and the Lord will add or he won't. And that's his prerogative. Um, I think... I'm just going to read this Bonhoeffer quote out to you. Um, I quoted Dietrich Bonhoeffer last time I spoke, and I've got another one for you. It's quite long, but I kept just working, thinking about where to stop it, but I couldn't because it's so good. So um, lock in. You're going to need to read some words and hang with it, but um, it's going to be great. It might also be a little painful. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. Even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. It is not we who build, Christ builds the church. Whoever is mindful to build the church is surely well on the way to destroying it, for he will build a temple to idols without wishing or knowing it. We must confess, he builds. We must proclaim, he builds. We must pray to him and he will build. We do not know his plan. We cannot see whether he is building or pulling down. It may be that the times, um, it may be that the times which, from a human point of view, sorry. It may be that the times which by human standards are the times of collapse are for him the great times of construction. It may be that the times which from a human point of view are great times for the church are times when it is pulled down. It is a great comfort which Jesus gives to his church. You confess, preach, bear witness to me and I alone will build where it pleases me. Do not meddle in what is not at your providence. Do what is given to you, do it well, and you will have done enough. <laughs> what he said. <laughs> um, there's so much in there. And, uh, but notice how he says, it, this is a good thing. This is a good thing, guys. It's not on us. Christ builds his church. We're to call to extend the kingdom, to confess, to proclaim, to bear witness to the ends of the earth, to love one another with absolutely everything that we have, but we're not in charge of the results. And if, if that's what's driving us, then we're going to mess it up. But um, I just wanted to pick out that, I actually notice that the gateway to the error here um, isn't, um, he says this, it's about loving your dream of community more than loving your actual community itself. And it's like, um, you can talk about the idea of something and quite often it's, it's you know, something like mission. Like we all know, mission is great. Like what's your church doing that's missional? Like tell me about mission, mission, that's yeah. But actually, I'm not going to do anything. I just want to know that I go to a church that is missional because I know that mission is a good thing. Likewise with prayer, likewise with giving, likewise with anything. I, know that I, I need to know that it's happening because I know it's good, but actually whether or not I get involved, see what I'm doing on the day, that kind of thing. And actually when it comes to community, it's that. oh yeah, we know that that's good, we know that's what the world needs, we know what it's called to be, and so we have this dream of what community is. But we're more bothered about that than at the actual people in our actual lives that we can actually love with our actual selves. You know, and maybe a good test for this is, do you spend more time boasting about how good your community is or complaining about what it isn't than you do actually with actual people? Um, I think it's an important thing because we spend a lot of time talking about stuff and it's really easy to think that that's the same as doing it and it really isn't. So what have we learned so far? Um, so we've had Pentecost, we've had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the inauguration of a new age, a new way of the, the God and man interacting and we're living in that today. Um, and empowered by the Spirit, God's building a new family in which his presence on earth will dwell and through which his salvation will come to the very ends of it. This new kind of community has four pillars of practice. Devotion to teaching, deep community, orientation around the life, death and resurrection of Jesus and prayer. Um, These practices are fueled by worship and generosity and their expression knows no limits, even to the very extent of sharing absolutely everything we have with those who need it. This kind of community will naturally grow, but because God builds it and we must be careful not to idealize and idolize that community and our role in creating it and instead just get on with the beautiful challenge of living it. And this is the kind of community that can and will turn the world upside down. Nearly done. Just a couple more things. Um, Getting super practical. Um, We're going to do this. We are doing this. You're probably doing this already. But um, just so you know, like we talked about this at the family chat um, a couple of weeks ago, but from September, um, we're relaunching small groups in a new way. We're going to be in each other's homes every week, up close, doing all this kind of stuff, living it out. A group of people that you can grow together with, you can minister to, be ministered bye that doesn't make sense um but you know doing all this stuff we're going to do it together and we're going to do it in homes and it's going to happen every week we're going to start that fully in september you might be thinking well you're talking big about all this stuff saying it's going to change the world why are you sitting around until september all sorts of reasons ask me about them if you'd like to and i can explain them to you but just to say um we're not doing nothing between now and september like actually what we're going to do in the next couple of months is start to build some momentum because it's been a weird time guys i don't know if you notice there's been a lot of hard stuff going on outside of our church inside our church and so um, and we want to make this shift really good and want to do it right and so we're not going to rush it but what we are going to do is um, in june and july Going to have these things called small group garden parties. So, over three separate weeks, um, there's going to be locations all over the city where you can go to someone's house, sit in their garden, share food, break bread together, and, um, and pray for one another. And, um, and there's going to be three opportunities to do that. And we're just going to start to re exercise that muscle, start to get around each other once again. Like, different people are going to find that challenging in different ways. Um, and, but it's going to be beautiful. And I really believe it's going to set us up to do September really, really well. Um, the first lot of those is happening really soon um, in a week, commencing seventh of June. And if right now you can go to vineleft.co.uk slash more groups, you'll see all the details there, and you'll be able to register. And I would can encourage absolutely everyone, whether you're whether you're doing community 100% or not percent, like actually um, get involved with this. Like this is going to be a brilliant way for our church to get around one another. And so um, remember, it's not about you; it's about the other people there. So um, Come be it. It'll be better if you're there. Um, awesome. We're gonna we're gonna close here, um, and we're gonna take communion together. And um, this was already planned, but it feels just like such a perfect way to respond to what God has been saying this morning. Because ultimately, um, the thing that defines community, um, the thing that defines our um, existence as follows as Jesus, uh, is our membership in His body. You know, membership isn't just about a card you carry or a badge you have. It's about literally being a body part of something, a member of something. And any conversation about community needs to be born out of the fact that we are all members of Christ's body. And there's no better way of remembering that than by um, by this sacrament of breaking bread, of taking communion, because we're acknowledging Jesus, we're um, recognising that He's literally here with us. We're remembering what He's done for us, and we're like wherever we're sat whatever screen we're looking at, whatever's around us, like we're all united in Christ's body. So I'm just going to pray and then I'm going to hand it over to Katie and we're going to respond to that all together. Jesus, thank you that you're building your church. And Lord, we just ask that you do that, keep doing that, God, use us. And Father, I ask that you'd help us to love well, help us to love with that agape, with sacrificial love, and I pray that um, as we do, as we, um, as we gather around the things that you say are important, and as we love people the way that you've loved us, I thank you that that is what this world needs. And so I pray this morning, just as we um, just respond here, would you connect us again to you, Jesus? Would, will you remind us that you are the head and we are the body? Thank you for this mystery. Thank you for this wonder. And I just pray that we have great joy being your body here on earth. Amen.